0: Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. It's time for The Rant, a segment where we talk about anything and everything in sports. If you'd like to join us on the conversation or share your thoughts with us, send us a text at 963-11938. And joining me on the show today are Mark Lim, former sports journalist, and James Walton, sports business lead at Deloitte Southeast Asia. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Um,
1: Pretty good. How are you guys? Yeah, nearly the end
0: of the season. Um, eh? We're um, yeah, James, I... I I understand you're really busy putting together a show for the Euro 2020. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, myself and uh, Ash Hashim from Football Lita will be hosting a a twice-a-week show uh, during the Euros. It'll be on social media. Um, You can check out the Campanis West CSC or or OTH Facebook pages. And it should be interesting. We're going to have some some quite cool guests and uh, some interesting challenges for those guests, just in case Mm. uh, you want to warm up, you know?
0: Yeah, talking about OTH, um, there were there was obviously the Singapore Premier League game that happened uh, last night. Mark, I'll come to you first. What a fantastic game of football, right? Tampines uh, lost to Haugang 3-2. We'll talk about the details. Uh, but first of all, um, it was a good game, wasn't it, what, to watch on, on TV?
2: Yeah, I mean it was a uh, end-to-end stuff. Uh, in Japanese, they, 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 the the lead change hands. Uh, seesaw. Japanese took the lead, and then only for for uh, for going to come back and 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 win it 3-2. So, uh, it was really a good advertisement for for the for the local game. And uh, and and I mean, boy, does Hougang really look like a like a side that that can really. Uh, uh, contend. I mean, it'll be interesting to see when they go up to Albirex Niagara. They completed obviously can completed the double against Japanese, having beaten them earlier in the season. So it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see whether they can uh, actually push Al- Albirex and uh, and Line City Sailors to to uh, to, to contend for the top position.
0: Tampines, Day scored their first goal through Yatse Anapi in the twen- uh, 12th minute, rather. And just before uh, the team went for a break, the halftime, uh, Nazrul Nazari, he equalised for Haugang. It really kicked off in the second half, just five minutes in Tomioki Doi is scored the goal to give uh, Haugang the lead. And Idraki Adnan, who's just been called up for the national team, he scored the third goal for Haugang exactly five minutes later. Boris Kipotovich, uh, you know, scored his goal for the night, but it was too late for the stacks, Haugang hung on to all three points. But uh, James, there was a penalty in the game that uh, the referee did not give. I, I'm not sure if you actually watched the game, but uh, did you see that incident?
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there, were, there were a couple of refereeing incidents last night, um, a couple in the other game as well, but again... You, It's hard to see because we don't always get the replay angles when when watching the SPL that we would like to get. But I I think it should have been given. And I I think that does obviously change things. If that penalty is given, then then it's a very different game.
0: Mm. You know, Mark, um, as soon as that game finishes, obviously there's a one-month break, uh, almost 50 days break for the next uh, Singapore Premier League game to happen. Of course, with the international break then the temples rovers they go for the afc competition right and given you know what you saw yesterday they're going to have a mountain to climb right when you when you look at who are the teams they're up against
2: yeah i mean uh, it's 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 uh, it's really going to be a, a, a tall ass and uh, i think the one month break hopefully uh, it will will give uh, the side some Time to actually do the, the planning, but it'll be tough because some of the the national players won't be with them. I mean, obviously the national team will be away in action, uh, so I think they, he won't. You know, in terms of having a full full squad, I think uh, um, you know it may be tough to actually get all the boys together. But uh, hopefully they they actually do, do 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 Singapore proud. I mean, it will be like you said a tall order, and uh, and and uh, I guess everybody will be rooting for them because if they do
0: well, I think it's also good for the league. Mm. James, one of the things that really impressed me was the post-match post interview with Gavin. He kind of said that don't um, kind of uh, pay attention to the outcome because we need to trust the process. And uh, he's a guy that has used that face quite a lot and was very classy the way he said it. Like he didn't look very faced, even though they are like fourth on the table now. Um, do you think he's is? it's because of the confidence he trusts this process or... Do you really think the Tampines can go all the way this season? Because it does look a little bit bleak at the moment for them, right?
1: Yeah, I think sometimes as a manager, you, you, you have to keep your composure and and keep the players on, <clears throat> on side. And like you say, his his message, football is a journey. You know, we judge ourselves at the end of the season, not just these matches. Um, I, I don't want to jinx anything, but those were the words Jose Mourinho was saying a couple of weeks ago. As first <laughs> I mean, it's... It, 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 it is a journey, and you can't ever read too much into one result. And they were they were a little bit unlucky on the day. I mean, mm. their, their goalkeeper, both on the first and the third goal, made uh, Buhari made absolutely brilliant saves, um, but didn't mm. get any help from his teammates. And the second goal, they completely, completely gave it away. And, and Armin Bosniak was was superb again. I mean, there are there's lots of positives to take from the game. Um, But realistically, the the, the, the SPL is is way away from them now. They're potentially six points behind having played a game more once once things settle settle down. And as you say, it's going to be very tough for them um, at the Asian level because, to be honest, it always is very tough for the Singapore teams Mm -hmm. at at an Asian level.
0: And the other match that uh, happened last night was the Young Lions. They took on the Lion City Sailors at Jalamsa Stadium. And they look, I must say the Young Lions, they look very solid till the 44th minute when uh, they gave away a free kick at the edge of the box. And the player got sent off. Uh, Sharul Zazali was the last defender. And even though it seemed to be no real contact, and Diego Lopez, who seemed to have just raced past the defender, the ref sent it off. I thought that was another decision that was a little bit, it got my head scratching a little bit. Um, but Sharon Sulaiman converted the, the 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 free kick. I must say that, uh, you know, Mark, the first 45 minutes, the way the young Lions played, they played really good football, I must say.
2: Yeah, and then, and, 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 uh, I mean, to me, the one set out player was the goalkeeper. Uh, the goalkeeper no, no Shafiq because I think he, he made quite a lot of good saves uh, not just mm. in the first half but throughout the match as well I mean it was some of it was really uh, you know uh, top class so uh, really good to see that the Lions cities I mean sorry the yeah, the, long, the young Lions have uh, you know kept as I think we mentioned a few maybe about a couple of months ago you know with the when they were being hammered uh, 5-0 and 4-0 and all that, that we were wondering you know how would this pan out but uh, I think uh, F- Philip basically, you know, had, has done a good job trying to get the guys uh back on track. Uh, so it may still be a loss. At the end of the day it's still it's still three point uh, loss. But I mean the way they played, like you said, you know, it's and, and and this against the top side like Line City Sailors really argues well for not just uh the, the, the team but also just the morale of the boys because they, they they can really hold their heads up high. And in this particular case, you know, I think the, the process was, was really was really uh, something to be admired.
0: Mm. Yeah, uh, the Lion City Sailors also had a player sent off in the 84th minute. Korean Song Yi Yong went in for a tackle, and the ref decided to send him off. Well, in my opinion, again, another poor refereeing call, James. What did you make of that tackle?
1: Yeah, it, it's one that watching the game in real time, you, you kind of saw the two players come together, and then and then it all you know stopped, and and the referee called out the card, and you and you kind of said what happened there. It wasn't clear. I mean, he slid in. Yes, his his studs were up, but his foot was on. Was on the ground. Um, to me, it's margin of, marginal. It, it could have been yellow. It could have been red. You do wonder if the referee was evening things up a little bit because, as you said, the one in the first half for the for the professional foul was was a little bit uh, a little bit soft as well. But I, I I don't think you can argue once the refs once the refs given it. But um, let's put it this way: if we were playing VAR, they would have said there there wasn't enough to overturn <laughs> it. But whether or not you give it in the first place is is a is a fifty fifty call.
0: Uh, Mark, when you look at that game, as compared to the Haugang Tampines game, it was very flat, wasn't it? I mean, when you, there was no real spark in this game, no one really took the game with the stroke of the neck. Uh, and usually, you you can expect a player like uh, Gabriel Quack to step up. But yesterday, the the sailors were a little bit flat, weren't
2: they? Yeah, but I guess uh, in in a way, we used to criticize them because they would concede goals, and uh, you know, and and they would, they were maybe in a way, if you want to compare yeah. it. Was almost leads uh, you know, in terms of uh, uh, trying to score more goals than they can see but I guess it, in, if, if you want to look at it I guess they've evolved in some way you know, to, to manage a game where they didn't really play that well uh, but got the goal early through Chardin and it was a beautiful free kick and, uh, and, and I mm. guess um, managed it well I mean they did have some chances as I said uh, uh, the young Lions goalkeeper really kept them in the game uh, but I think uh, absolutely right in the sense that they weren't fantastic. But uh, these are the games that you 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 kind of have to win if you really want to uh, contend for the title. You know, the difficult games that don't really play that well, but at least you still go on and,
0: and get the job done. Mm, that's what's called game management football, I suppose. Yep. All right, time for a break. When we come back, we have a look at the FIFA World Cup. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. This is The Rant, and joining me on the show today are Mark Lim and James Walton. If you've been listening to us, if you want to share your thoughts with us, you can send us a text at 963-11938. Let's move on, gentlemen. FIFA will conduct a feasibility study to determine whether it can hold the Men's and Women's World Cup every two years instead of the usual four. And, of course, Saudi Arabia, they tabled the proposal during the 71st FIFA Congress with 166 member associations voting in favour for the motion, and of course 22 voting against it, um, I'll come to you first, uh, James. On this one, what was your initial reaction to this?
1: Um, I, I'd like to say surprised, but not surprised. Um, this is this is <laughs> another interesting move by FIFA, and 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 just as a backdrop to this, um, you know, we come back off the European Super League, and there's there's a lot of noise going around that uh, Infantino. Um, was very aware of uh, of the European Super League proposal and was encouraging it against UEFA. Um, and in fact, the La Liga president has come out and said that he, he's very sure that FIFA were actually encouraging the, Euro- the the European Super League proposal. So there's there's clearly a bit of a power struggle going on between. FIFA and the and the national confederation but you sit here and you look at the calendar and you say well right now for most of the confederations in the in the kind of alternate year so to speak of you know in, if we go two year cycles is when the european championships and the other similar tournaments are are happening so what happens to those tournaments do they get knocked off cycle but the, the bigger issue in all of this is the qualifications because the amount of time and effort that goes into World Cup qualifying, the amount of time and effort that goes into qualifying in the case of Europe for the for the for the European Championships, is already a huge burden on the calendar. Um, so unless you can find a way to to effectively use one tournament to qualify for another, this is going to make things even worse. And, and the most telling line in all of this for me was actually Infantino himself saying. You know, people are saying they want more competitive international football, and and this is what this request is about. It's about having more competitive dates because fans don't watch friendlies, and these national associations want income from TV rights and and spectators. Um, But at the end of the day, do fans really want to watch qualifying matches. Do they really want to see England play San Marino and France play Albania and Germany play Liechtenstein? Mm. I don't think that's the solution either.
0: You know, it's actually not the first time this idea was mooted. Former FIFA president Sepp Blatter, he made a similar push in 1999, if you guys remember. there was actually a fierce backlash, mainly from uh, UEFA and European, of course, uh, the governing body. Um, Mark, what, what do you think? I mean, James alluded to this earlier about the power struggle, but let's, from a fan perspective, would you enjoy it?
2: i mean initially i i I thought uh, it, it doesn't make sense because again you know the, the 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 calendar is already packed, and you have the European championship uh, every two years but i, I mean, having done some reading about it i mean I, I I think that i mean I can see the logic behind it because I think they 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 realize that okay a lot of uh, a lot of friendly matches are now. Uh, basically, a lot a lot of clubs are just complaining about friendly matches and teams having to to take part in the international week and play meaningless matches. Sometimes coming to to uh, regions where it's really just a a, a a a money a money game, right? Just to get uh, uh, you know for the top teams to actually get appearance fees and all that. So I think mm-hmm. having done having gone every two years, it will basically not sort of negate. Uh, uh, meaningless friendlies, you know. As, as James alluded to, you know, there'll be a lot of qualification games to play. The schedule is packed. The only question I can see how it all fits in is again with this power struggle with UEFA. I mean, uh, having going to be every two years, would somebody would have to to change, right? Somebody you have to buckle. So, it, it, are they going to stay on the the even years, or if, uh, or is one going to switch to the odd year? Uh, then you have also the, the Women's World Cup uh, in play because then, you know, so it's it's obviously the Men's World Cup one year and Women's World Cup every other year. So UEFA, I mean, uh, the Euro- European Championships would clash with either one of them. Likewise, Copa mm. America and all that and the Asian Cup. So I think there's, there's two years uh, then again seems kind of packed for it. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm still a bit torn, but uh, I still like the, the whole ro- romanticism of, of the World Cup every four years. I mean, it's, it's something to really look forward to. It's like the Olympics uh, is the pinnacle of, of that the, that particular game. And uh, I, I'm, I'm still leaning towards a uh, World Cup every four years, I guess.
0: Mm. You, you know, there was a really interesting article I came across uh, with Arsene Wenger in an in a, in a article in La Paris. And it said that uh, there was a need to reorganise football calendar in line with the evolution of society. So one of his ideas was basically... To organise the World Cup and Euros every two years and stop everything else, James. Uh, it's interesting how they are leaning towards someone like a uh, Arsene Wenger because he's a known name. Uh, has I suppose standing in the world football. Do you think he has a as a point here?
1: Well, this is Arsene Wenger who's also trying to change the offside rules, the handball rules, and and everything <laughs> else. Right? So, I, I, I look. I, I I'm I'm with Mark on this one. That I, I think it's one of those things where we'll all sit there and say we don't want it because it will. It will kill football, but potentially it does also get rid of some of the meaningless football. I mean, if it does nothing else, maybe hopefully it'll get rid of that awful nations, nations uh, cup thing mm. we've got going yeah. on now in Europe, which which nobody understands and 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 is just played like one big international friendly anyway as well. So, I I I do have mixed feelings on this. I, I do. It is it is a bit strange that you only come together and, and play as the best in the world every four years and. I do wonder if, if this happens, would the Olympics seek to follow suit and go to a cycle of, of a Winter Olympics and a Summer Olympics every two years? Uh, and and where does it stop, right? So I think it will be a – there's a long way to run in this one yet, but the fact that, 100, as you say, 166, was it, of the, of the national right, yeah. federations voted for this means that this feasibility study may – you know maybe a little bit of a foregone conclusion here as well
0: (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) you know what Uh, time for a break when we come back we continue this conversation Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. This is The Rant and joining me on the show are Descorkil and Philip Go. Uh, if you want to join us and give us your thoughts, you can call us at 669-11938 or be like Eric, send us a text at 963-11938. Uh, gentlemen, let's talk about last weekend's English FA Cup finals. Leicester City beat uh, Chelsea 1-0 to take the trophy for the first time in their club. History, but the biggest story came out after, um, of course, the celebrate after the match and the celebration. Kashmir Michael ran over and invited the chairman Kuntop to come and join them um, in the team celebration as well. In an era where owners are deeply hated by both players and fans, this was really great to see, wasn't it, uh, Des? Oh, a
3: couple of things here. I, I, I don't think generally owners are hated by by players and fans. Of course, they're not. Uh, they're, they're, they're looked at with, um, with skew. If some some are some are really not liked, but uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't put all owners in the, into that category. Um, so and, and the less the lesser thing is a, is a great story. I, I still maintain though that Chelsea were robbed by the stupidity of VAR. But that would have denied us the the heartwarming figure of of, um, uh, of top going onto the the pitch and hugging the FA Cup. Uh, Helps to be a billionaire. That that's always a good thing for a, for a club to do well. Um, so he's done well. So what 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 you're getting from me here, Sassy, is a little bit of going. Come on, let's 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 talk serious. Yes, it's a lovely story, but this is hardly uh, of a kid who's come out of poverty and has eventually achieved all his dreams. This is a billionaire who's invested very wisely in a football club. Let the footballers do it, and being given a, a little bit of a, a share. Of the of the of the glory when it happened, owners should be um, heard and not seen. In my book, <laughs> so I, I'm not going with all the uh, all the gush that everybody else in the world seems to be going with. I thought it was a, a nice moment, but gosh, he's he, he doesn't need these kind of moments to make himself feel good.
0: Well, you're a hard man to please, Des. Uh, what about, what what do you think of uh, that heartwarming moment, uh, Phil? Are you on the same boat with uh, Des?
4: No, it was, it was, it was not, not not on the same ball as as Des. Obviously, I mean, I, I I enjoyed that moment. I enjoyed the moment. I'm sorry, Des. I I I I'm a bit of a softie at times, but I I, I thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> the moment. Um, like Des, I I thought you know Chelsea's equalizer was was a the decision on not allowing that one was a bad one, but I I do think that you know at at the end of the day, that fairy tale finish for Leicester, the fact that they've not just uh, won the Premiership. Uh, but also added an FA cup that that that, that kind of shows us that you know football is still alive There's that that fairy tales still do come true but I, I i want to think about all the asian owners that have gone to england and tried their hand at at owning british clubs and none of them have come away you know doing as well as this thai family and and you know if if i think back on on what one of our malaysian billionaires went over and tried to do with cardiff city and 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 you know first thing he did Ah, uh, try to change their crest, try to change their name, <laughs> change the colors, you know, impose his ways. And I think, why do you go out and do that? You know, and, and I do agree with with this. You know, um, not not hurt and not seen if if, if 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 it's possible. And and don't go out and make splashy moves like that. You know, you try you're trying to change a hundred years of tradition because I have the money, all right? I have the money. I, I get to call the shots. I mean, that is entirely the wrong attitude. And obviously, when you start off on that kind of footing, where do you expect this to go? I mean, the the, the, the Thai billionaire made a brilliant move by not only um, attracting the, the the correct coach to come along, um, he also built a nice team around around the coach to actually achieve the goal. I Leicester City's um, achievement, you know, winning from what five uh, the odds of five five thousand to one out. I don't think we'll ever see that again in my lifetime. But you know, the fact of the matter is. These guys went about things the right way. We've, we've also seen Indian owners in own, buying Blackburn Rovers, and you know really not being the most popular people in the world either. So you know owners should take lead, take the lead from from the Thai billionaires who came in and quietly did their stuff. I mean the tragedy of that helicopter crash only added to the legend. But at the end of the day, on the football side of things, you know they did the they did the things things the correct way, and they got the results that come from that.
0: Mm. Here's one thing for you Des because last year uh, Leicestershire Live reported that a survey of 3000 English football supporters voted King Power as the best club owners in the Premier League. The report also mentioned that Hawkwind top actually paid for 75 hotel rooms for a group of fans who got stuck in Calais in, fr- in France, sorry in Belgium uh, during a storm sierra after traveling to support Leicester's Belgian sister club, uh, Levin. So he's actually not just Done it for sure. He's actually this genuinely comes from the heart, right? And yet, you know, it's very hard to convince you.
3: No, it's not hard to convince me. I, I did say it was a very heartwarming situation, and he he's put mm. football people in charge, and he's made Leicester very much um, a part of the community. I, I think I think there were some great parallels there that Phil pulled up. Of um, he's let footballers uh, football people do the the football. He's 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 put a, a, a good. Um, uh, the, the, the stadium with King Power, etc., is is there. Uh, it, it's clearly a project that's worked. But my my argument on on all of this, you, you see, you see it in in Asia an awful lot. Very often the the money men are the ones who come and take the applaudits uh, at the end. And yes, uh, maybe I was being a little bit harsh. It was it was it was a nice mm. moment, and he's done things well. But I I, I still think that a, a director. Uh, or even even the chairman, even the coach, even in the emotional circumstances of his, after his father's he- helicopter uh, death, which was incredibly emotional. I- I'm not sure they should be centre stage. I'm really not because it's it's the wrong focus. Yuri Tielemans hasn't had a quarter of the attention. Yuri Tielemans is the story. Oh, what a wonderful cup final winning goal, and nobody's talking about that nobody's talking about the game of football that, uh, that that we've just seen one of the better FA Cup finals that we, we we've seen because um chelsea had a go for it they didn't play awfully well but they had a go but the game gets forgotten uh, in, a, in a nice feel good factor move but the game gets forgotten yes maybe we should uh, give give more more kudos to, to the good news and um the tie ownership is good news uh, but it, it's only good news because they've done it well. They've trusted people, uh, Brendan Rodgers and his team, and they've, for the most part, been in the background. That's just my little thing about them. Uh, th- 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 this being the headline, as you said. So this, somebody, mm. um, uh, an owner uh, holding the cup at the end is the headline. Uh, that, that's the bit I've got an issue with. But uh, feel good story. Okay, I stepped back a little bit from my previous stance, but not too far.
0: Hmm. To be fair to Kuntop, I think it was uh, Kash Michael that really wanted him to come onto the pitch. You could see that he, you know, visibly didn't want to be there. Anyway, on that note, let's go for a break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. This is The Rant and joining me on the show are Philip Go and Desko Kiel. Um, before we head on and talk about the Olympics, I want to talk about another news that uh, made the headlines last week. Uh, it was Ajax Amsterdam. After winning their Eredivisie, uh, what they did was they took the trophy and melted it down and made momentous for their season ticket holders. The trophy was about, um, awarded to Ajax for their 35th top flight title success. Phil, how amazing is that? When you got, you know, we've been talking about owners, we were talking about team, uh, teams, rather now we've got a club that say, you know what, our our win, our title, and all our achievement belongs to the fans. And they've actually made like little stars and given up to uh, 40,000 of your season ticket holders. Amazing, isn't it? Well,
4: I have two reactions to that, sir. So The first one is, wow, that's that's a great thing they did. My second reaction is, are they allowed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> is, is, that, is, is that a challenge trophy that that is being awarded? what if the the FA comes around to them and say, "Where's the trophy? You know, we we got to give it to the to winner next year." I mean, it's just, it's, it's I'm a wonderful headline. It's truly a wonderful headline. It's, it's, it is is we don't hear enough of what clubs do for their fans, do we? I mean, this this is this is one of those days when you know we we, we, we think about it, we look at the times we are in right now. And you know, it just goes to show you that you know there are clubs out there that have a heart, um, that do think about what their fans mean to them. And and the fact that the, the teams are very much a, a big part of what the club is. I mean, there are clubs out there that think you know, they, they are they are power unto themselves and and that you know the fans are just merely paying customers. So, you know, as 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 soon as they start thinking of their fans as paying customers, you know, you know that that all is lost. So the, the, the whole idea of the European mm. Super League was was very much in that line where all fans are customers. Uh, Whether you're someone who who bought a season ticket or you're someone from Asia who comes in and pays big money, you're all customers. And at the end of the day, you're you're just being seen as the the, the suckers who are putting up the money to watch the football. But for Ajax to go out and do Mm. something like that, and they are one of the biggest clubs in the world, not just just in in, in the Netherlands, for them to go out and do something like this just shows us that there are still uh, football people out there who... Regard football in the correct way, and I, and I'm very pleased to to actually see something like this.
0: Mm. Forget about Ajax melting the trophy. Uh, does this headlines melt your heart, death? Utterly disrespectful to the heritage. <laughs> Utterly. <laughs> what next? Okay. Okay. You, go on. You go,
3: You go and win the World Cup. You melt that down and spread that amongst the population because it's all about the fans. It's all about the fans, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to school and give the children a certificate for turning up. Oh, the fans turned up. They watched us on television. Let's give them a gold piece of the Eredivisie title. My giddy aunt. Let's just get this into perspective, shall we? The trophy is there to be won by the footballers. Yes, the player, uh, the, the fans are an important part of that, but you do not give them little pats on the head and prizes and, and to be utterly disrespectful for the trophy. As quite rightly, Phil says, somebody says, okay, where's the trophy? Oh, we made a coffee. Oh, so so what we actually fought for, the tro- the, the prize at the end that you've won, that we that we that has got real history to it. You decided to melt it down. You may as well just throw it in the bin. Oh, but we gave it to the fans. You, But you haven't got, got a trophy coming back for us. I just thought it was utterly, incredibly disrespectful. And of course, the world is gushing about it. Isn't it lovely? Isn't the world a lovely place? No, it's not. This is this is just going too far in looking at, at, uh, after fans and treating them as, as um, oh, well done, boys. Well done, boys. Fans have nothing to do with putting the ball in the back of the net. There there's, should be a symbiotic relationship. There should be a healthy thumbs-up. There should be um, a, 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 a chord between fans and, and club But melting down a trophy. Tell you what, the World Cup is next. And nobody, if, if nothing happens here, people can say, but Ajax did it. And then they'll do the European Championship and the Champions League and all big ears will disappear once again. Ah, but it's only a copy. You've got you've got that completely
0: wrong. I, I just thought this was yep. utterly... I'm, I'm, I'm confused arrogance. here. I'm, I'm confused here. I'm confused here. Because in, in some instances, you have always fought, fought for the fans. You say, oh, the fans yeah. are the first, they, they're first, they should be first And now you're saying when somebody does that, you're saying, oh, that's re- disrespectful. I mean, which is which? It's, dis- it's disrespectful to the trophy. It's disrespectful to the organisers. It's
3: disrespectful to the league. It's disrespectful to the history. It's a replica. Uh, it's a replica they melted down. It, that's not what it said. They it, they they receive a trophy. They receive a trophy. Is it the is it the trophy that they received, or was it a replica? If it's the trophy they received, so, so then it really it's matters? disrespectful. Does it really matter? If it's yes, a, it really does, does matter. It really matter it does, yeah, it does matter. Absolutely, it matters because that's the trophy they've been given uh, to display. So they they they're going to have their board of honour, and where where what they're going to have in 2021, a, a space or one one of the little nuggets. It's it's just going over the top. It's so human race has the ability to swing massively one way, then the other. Oh, we hate the fans. Oh, we love the fans. Oh, we hate the fans. Somewhere in the middle, it, it was a trophy. You 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 show respect for the trophy that you won. That's what you do. That's not showing respect to the trophy that you won.
0: What about uh, impacting the lives of forty thousand people because they got this memento and that's something that they hang on to for the rest of their lives. OK, Probably so I'm
3: a, I'm a Feyenoord fan. Suddenly I'll say, hey, hey. I, I became an Ajax fan. Or you're saying, ah, they, they bought season tickets. Season tickets. Gosh, I've been a season ticket holder at Anfield since 1996, so I'm paying for it. If Liverpool win the trophy, I certainly do not expect for my one appearance a year to actually receive a gold ingot from the Premier League trophy being melted down. It's just mm.
0: bicycle. That that's, that's just because that's just because you are a Liverpool fan and that's what Liverpool does to their fans.
3: Anyway, no, on the note let's, let's, let's move on.
0: Let's move don't on. No let's move be on, be, on because be we got be a bigger be. topic to talk about, the Olympics. Of course because we are only about 60 days left to the Olympics and uh, in a recent poll 80% of the Japanese population, they really opposed to the Olympics. Um, and this is getting really, really interesting because I was um, list, obviously reading and doing some research. Um, I wanted to find out a little bit more um, about who really makes these decisions, like who can really go on and, and make a decision. So... I, I saw an article on Yahoo News, it said reportedly that uh, legally neither Japan, Tokyo, the Japanese Olympic Committee, nor Tokyo 2020 Organising Committee has the power to cancel the Games. A contract they signed in 2013 uh, when they won the rights to host the Olympic Games uh, grants the power exclusively to IOC. Uh, Phil, I want to come to you on this. Do you know? Did you know about this?
4: Yeah, I knew about it last week when I told you that, you know, that, that analogy about holding a party in your house, but you're not allowed to cancel it. And, and 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 right now, I'm actually thinking, should I start a petition on Change Talk saying, you know, free Tokyo 2020, you know, free <laughs> the city of Tokyo from the grips of their kidnapper, you know, IOC? Because it seems like that's the situation we're in right now, where, where you know, the, the city of Tokyo, uh, the Japanese government is being held hostage by the IOC. I mean, of course, the clause for them is... If, if there's, there's a natural a natural catastrophe of some sort that, you know, this allows this particular event from going ahead, then no one's, no one's to be blamed and you can both call it off. I think what the Japanese government is doing right now is holding out for the IOC to come to its senses and say, let's call this off. It's too complicated. Let's call it off. And then they'll mutually agree. And then no one has to pay each other the amount of reparation that they're hoping for. Because that's exactly yeah. what's going to happen next if, if Japan decides at the very last minute that this is too much, our people don't want it, we have to call it off, they have to end up paying something like four or five billion US dollars to the IOC, or the IOC has the right to sue them, uh, even, even though the article did go ahead to say that it, it's not going to happen, the IOC won't be going around suing governments anyway. But the fact of the matter is, right now, Japan is being held hostage by the IOC. So this is a situation that's unprecedented, obviously, the the... the the pandemic is unprecedented but some sense has to prevail from all this but what we are seeing right now is in the last 48 hours all the big IOC chiefs have come out to say that these games will go on regardless regardless even if there's mm. an emergency in place come hell or high water this is going to carry on so you I'm, know I'm wh- what's it happened the olympics will happen
0: yeah prominent business leaders have spoken out against the Olympics, Hiroshi uh, Mikitani, uh, Chief Executive Online Retainer, Rakuten, he called the Games a suicide mission. SoftBank Chief Executive, uh, Masayoshi Son, he also told CNBC that he will be afraid for Japan and other countries if the Olympics uh, were held. Um, The big guns are coming to say don't do it. Now, everybody, the population is saying no, don't do it. But IOC is insisting that this should happen. Um, As someone who's been observing sports for a long, long time, where do you stand on this and we've been talking about this for weeks now
3: we have and my 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 consistent answer has been if, if if the authorities say it's safe then then it should go ahead but the authorities aren't the ioc the ioc are the ones who who are saying it so john coates in the in the news uh, in the in the lead up to to this program he was pretty emphatic that the games will go ahead uh, no matter what uh, the fact that the IOC are the ones who do have the final decision legally is, is is a strange one, and it just shows the the power of the sports authorities, which is which is out of kilter with where the power of sports authorities should be. In my way, sports should be enjoyed. Um, but if so, I'm 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 changing my mind. I want the I want the Olympics to go ahead. I really do. But if the general perception is that it would be seen as a danger or a genuine suicide mission, as, as that uh, Rakuten boss said. And I don't see there's any way in which you, you can do it. I, uh, I wish it was different. Uh, but the IOC are, are thinking dollars, I'm sure. Um, and the Japanese public have got to look after the Japanese public. So whilst I'd love it to go ahead, I do believe that people power must, in the end, win. It, it must mm. win.
0: All right, gentlemen, I think that uh, brings us to the end of this segment here today. Thank you so much for your time and uh, solid as always. Enjoy the rest of the weekend and I'll speak to you next week. Give us
3: some easy topics one week, SASS. Easy.
1: <laughs> thanks, right. thanks,
4: Sassy. Thanks. And a big shout out to our friend Milton Tan who's getting married right now and we're watching him on YouTube.
0: All right. Cheers, uh... Milton. Cheers. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. Every week, I have an athlete or a sports personality in the hot seat to talk about their life and sports. This week, I have my former teammate and former Singapore international, Joseph Prokassam, on the show. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hi, Sasi. I'm
5: good. How are you?
0: I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for taking time to come on the show uh, to talk about, obviously, your life and football. And for all our listeners who you know haven't heard from you, from you in a while, so what have you been up to lately?
5: Uh, I mean... I'm out of football after my career is over. I am doing my own business. Uh, I've been not, I mean, it's nothing to do with football. It's all about my studies engineering and a bit of, uh, a bit of uh, what you call, uh, speaking and teaching
0: and things. You know, it's very interesting to follow you on your Facebook feed because there's uh, something unique that you always say on your Facebook. I must say I enjoy reading it. Joe, just before I always like to take my guest on this show, I would like to take you back into your childhood days. Maybe you can share with us what was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? The, the school you went to?
5: Okay, I my childhood is... Uh, yeah, you know uh, Holland Road and uh, Tanglin Hall. That's where I grew up. Mm. I went to this primary school called Tanglin Primary School. I think the school is no more. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's where I grew up, and that's where I also met a lot of uh, those Kampong boys. You know, in those days we play football. That's how I get the sport and kick around. And Basically, I was there until about 11 years old and then my father bought a house in Woodlands and then we I went to Woodlands and I have to have a different group of, uh, I have to try to make good friends with new new group, you know, it's totally new. And in Woodlands and the Masking area, there were also a lot of football players. So I always go to see who can I play football with and mm-hmm. end up with a lot of friends.
0: But Joe, back in the days, especially when you talk about woodlands and muscling, it was not, I suppose, the woodlands and muscling of these days. There was, you know, obviously there were good footballers. There were also very bad company, right? Growing up. How did you manage to stay away from the bad company and and suppose, you know, focus in on both, uh, suppose, school and, uh, and football?
5: Okay. Uh, yeah, it's true. There's also a lot of uh, bad company there and everything. But for me, I think I was so passionate about football. I just wanted to play football and just it. I don't want to get involved in any other things, you know. So, and that's also maybe because of my family uh, upbringing. Because uh, my father is a very strict man. You must come back by seven o'clock and all that stuff, you know. So that also maybe in a way uh, protected me from joining the all those bad companies.
0: Let's talk about football. Who introduced you to football?
5: Okay. Uh, I, I. I. Nobody introduced. You, see, you know, in those days, everything is about football. You know, we, we don't have TV. We don't. I mean, we have TV, but we don't. It's all about going out and playing. Mm. You know, and everywhere you go, everybody is having a small goalpost with the uh, shoes, and <laughs> and it, it just like that. No, we, we just. I just catch up the spot like that and just had the interest. And I mean, it, that's how I got. Nobody introduced to me. It was there, and I just. Get the, the feel of it. Mm.
0: Growing up, did you have a sporting hero? Did you have a, someone that you looked up to?
5: Oh, uh, my very, uh, I think when I was nine years old, I or eight years old, I started supporting Manchester United. And at that time, my idol was Brian Robson. Mm. And I, I also liked the way he played. And I tried to idolize him, you know, attacking with the And that is actually how I started playing football. That's my favorite position, actually.
0: And, you know, it was well documented that later on in life, you went on to finish your your degree. One of the very few footballers who have actually achieved those feat, right? But how were you in school? Were you always academic when you were, I suppose, in primary and secondary school?
5: Yeah, I was always, uh, I would say, uh, above average student. Uh, I'm not the A student or whatever, but above average, that means I do quite well naturally. But it's not like naturally, I also... Put some effort to learn. I, I have a uh, curiosity to learning. You know, I always want to learn new things. So, because of that curiosity, I think I was doing well in my studies.
0: What about when you really found out that you had some talent? At which point in your life did you feel that you had a bit of talent for football?
5: Oh, okay. That, actually, that I, I, say, I, I never really wanted to become uh, a professional football. I mean, I didn't have that thought. I was just want to play football for fun and everything. And I, that's what I was doing. And of course, back in the, in my mind, one day I would love to play for the national team. So I was just going about playing football just to want to do things, to enjoy the game and try to be the best, I mean, best player as I can be. And as I go through school, I was playing for school, secondary school, my school, everybody, a lot of very talented players. So mm-hmm. I have this company, which day in, day out, I was playing with these people. You know, it's like, uh, until I went to O-levels, my HODP at that time, he told me, uh, Joseph, you you are a very good player. You should go out and play for combined schools or some of the clubs out there. You know, they have age group uh, tournaments and things like that. Then, and up till then, I never considered anything about playing for this club and I just want to play football school, play for fun and things like that. And I realized, okay, I should go and give it give it a try. So I went, uh, I saw a newspaper cutting uh, when after my o levels. they said uh, under 18 uh, trials for Gibraltar you No, know? mm. I saw in the newspaper and and all my friends, we all said, okay, let's go. Let's go try this. And they followed me and I went to the trials I got selected, but the three of my friends never get selected. So you know, in those days we have this this thing called oh kaki kaki. You know, we all mm. want to have friends together. Then I felt very disappointed. They never get selected. So I told them the following week I'm not going to the trial, and they said uh, Joseph, you are already a good player. We are we tried our, our luck, but never mind. You should go and they can encourage me. So the best thing is I was already planning not to go because I was I feeling un- very uncomfortable. And then the day, the next week, one of my friends, one of that friend, we, I mean, we still are in touch and everything, he called me and said, uh, Joe, you're, right. you're going right? You better go, no? <laughs> he tells me that. Mm. So I said, okay. Then I went, and things just went very fast. You know, from a schoolboy uh, playing football, I end up playing for the youth team and also for the Premier League team in the same year. It happened so fast, and I was like, it, it's, it's very difficult to explain. It just happened so fast. And at 17 years old, I was playing, I was sitting in the stands for Gibraltar Crescent. And the very first game I played was against Safsa at Jalam Stadium. And all mm. these were like, uh, uh, what do you call Just dream come true kind of thing. All these I read in papers only, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Joe, and hold that just... thought. Hold that thought because uh, let's go for a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you all about that experience playing in the Premier League. <music> Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. I'm joined on the show by Joseph Prokassam, former Singapore international, my teammate. And just before the break, we were talking about his early childhood and how he got introduced to football and eventually ended up signing for Gibraltar Crescent. Joe, I want to talk to you about that. Because yeah. back in the days, football was semi-professional. I think when you look back at the what was then called the Premier League, was of a good standard, I must say, because a lot of the national players who were playing in the Malaysia Cup they also played for local football clubs and Gibraltar Crescent was a small team based in Ishun. and I remember very clearly Block 143, the <laughs> jogging track. A couple of weeks ago, I had Go Ta Chuan on the show and he also mentioned about the facilities that were not the best when it comes to football, right, and football development. What was your experience like, you know, being part of the under-18 team and then eventually going to play for the senior team?
5: Yeah, it's it's like you said, the facilities was not as good as what we have now. We have, fantastic facilities nowadays you know in those days we don't have we we start training around 5 30 and at seven o'clock it starts we will still play under the street light we're using the small little lights to see the ball and, <laughs> and train. I, I know the experience I, I'm sure you also had the same yeah experience. and but in those days we were we were like so passionate we just want to, to do and play and you know want to improve and things like that so it was a natural thing for me, you know, I just, whenever I was given a chance to play or given a chance to train, I just give my best. And eventually, as I said, we were even so fast. At 17 years old, I was sitting on the bench and eventually my coach, our, our coach, yelled, yelled me. he just threw me into the game. I never expected I would, I wanted to play the game, you know, and, and the likes of, uh, what, Ishak Shah was there, at Delhi was there, and then, you know, those, those are names which we read in the newspaper, and I was chasing them. And the very first game I went inside, it's like I was telling myself, please don't pass the ball to me. I just, I was <laughs> running away here. I just, I just want the ball. I just want to, these 15 minutes, just finish very fast. You know, that's the, the experience or that's the fear I had. Then after the game, but it was, it was a good experience because he taught me the level I need to be in order to play in that division, you know? So I told myself I I may be a very good player in the youth, but come to adult, I think I'm not there. So I started to train. I started to become more confident and eventually I was playing game, full games at 17 and 18 years old in the Premier League, Alberta. some of the games, I was starting the game and everything. So mm. it's but I, I I thank the coach because if he have never thrown me in that that thing, I wouldn't know where I stand. So mm. that's how I learned.
0: Fast forward in 1994, you were called up for the Malaysia Cup squad. You did that while you were serving national service. You in our batch, you're one of the first few to make the national team. What was that experience like? And do you remember the day that you were actually called up for the national team?
5: Yes, I can still remember that. That was again another fast forward thing. You know, uh, after in '91 and '92, I played Premier League. '93, I was called up for national service, and I was called up to this unit, uh, commandos. You know, mm. and I have to finish one year of the course before I can go to Safsa. All right. So that whole year I never played football because I was in this course to become a commando, uh, full fetched commando. I finished the course in December '93. Immediately I was called. Uh, I went to Safsa to uh, attach up to Safsa to train. You know, and in you know in SAFTA, you are there also. You know, we, is like, leave football, you know, eat, mm. sleep. Everything is about football, right? Professional. <laughs> but underpaid, not paid. At all. <laughs> I think we are paid only $15, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's where I, my, most of my improvement in the game came because we are physically very, very fit on that, at that time. And even uh, mentally very alert. The, I was able to do things which which I can't do uh, even in the, at 17 and 18 years old. And I realized that I'm improving and I just gave my best to Safsa. And again, things very fast. You know, one whole year I didn't play. I started training with Safsa. Within three months, when the uh, the two months we started Premier League, I think only three or four games I played for Safsa, I was called up on team. And the person who called me was probably, uh, you know, he called me and uh, he said, uh, "I, you are selected for national team." But uh, I actually told him that um, I'm not ready yet. Probably this whole year I played for September, Maybe next year I should be ready. You no, know? I. That's what I, I told him. But then he is, it's very funny, you know, because in '92 when I was under 18, he actually called me for Singapore under 19 youth team. They were going for tournament tour in Indonesia and he told me your selector I said I don't want to go because I'm going to national service I want to spend the Christmas time with my family and I rejected the offer so he told me I called you one time you already reject opportunity never comes second time you know so (laughs) I was thinking I said okay um, I'll think about it give me one day so up till then I was afraid about my dad you know Mm. he wanted me to study he wanted to be want me to become a degree holder. That is his, his dream. So again, I also didn't expect these kind of things would come, you know, at the right time. So I was so afraid. I told, I called my uncle who is my mother's brother and he's close to my father. I told him that I was selected for next to and you must tell my father. i was afraid to tell my father. <laughs> <laughs> and he congratulated me and he said, okay, don't worry, I'll talk to you. Then he talked and then my dad came and tell me, he said, I thought you were just playing for fun and everything. I never knew you have grown so fast and so so high. And he only said, it's your choice. Okay, I cannot deny you. But whatever it is, don't let go the dream of getting a, becoming a degree holder. You are, because at that time, I already got a place in uh, URI, mm. You know, So I'm just waiting for my NS to finish. And then I will go to, to study my degree. So that was the time. And things were... Then he said, "You go ahead, whatever you want to do, but please don't take off it." So that's how it happened. And I joined. I still remember the first day I joined the, the national team training. Gandhi was there, Abbas was there, and Nasri, Rafi, all all those players which I Stephen turned. All these players I probably have played against in during the Premier League or whatever, but never together in the same team. You know. So mm. it was a it's a very good feeling. And the coach, Douglas Moore, he is also a very nice person. He came and he he talked to me nicely. I, and within a few days, I just felt in place already. I feel like I'm part of the team. You know? It mm. was it was very, very, it's a very unique feeling.
0: It's amazing because when you look at that 1994 squad, actually ran on to win the Malaysia Cup. And at that time, being a national player was, I think, a dream come true for many young boys. But you still describe that you were afraid to join the team because your dad wanted you to go to the university you think about it now it's quite funny and uh, it's amazing because of the level of importance that i suppose your dad put to academics ahead of you know representing the country but i suppose at the end you probably had both right you had your education and you also you know fulfill your dream for playing for the national team on that note let's go for a quick break when we come back i want to talk to you all about that <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. I'm joined on the show by former Singapore international Joseph Prokassam. Joe, just before the break, we're talking about being called up for the national team, being a little bit hesitant because your dad wanted you to finish your university degree. But in the end, you went ahead and joined the Singapore team in 1994. Of course, it's no secret that the team went on to win all the titles in front of them, and you were part of the team. And what was that experience like? Because ahead of you was Fundy, Abbas, and all these household names, right? But you were still part of the team. And did you ever imagine that you be in that situation one day?
5: <laughs> I mean, it's a pleasant surprise, you know? It's like, uh, and I I saw them on TV, you know? And this is time, that time I'm together with them. But being in a national team, I must say, I learned the most being part of this group of uh, best players in the nation i learned the most i improved the most better than what i did in during safta time you know and i realized that when i go back to play the premier league for safta during that time because in those days we still play for the Malaysia, Malaysian Malaysia league and we also play for the premier league i was playing mm. for safta right? i come back to play for them i realized i am i was i was much faster i think much faster i score goals more you know so that was a very good experience and I must say Mandi and Abbas they are very very they don't only keep to themselves they really teach teach young boys like that time Manon was there you know Mm. Sakarya was there we are the youngest players you know they really teach us they don't keep to themselves you know they tell us the small small things that need to be improved in uh, in the game and that's was how it is, and then again, the first time I went into the national stadium, uh, I think it is a game against against Melaka. I think they're already winning 3 0, and they need to rest. Uh, I think Abbas, yeah, because he was one of the main players. Because there's still a few more games that need to play. So I went in last 15 minutes, and I said that's uh, the feeling of 50,000 friends, fans, you know, that was. I remember about a few years back, I was at the stand looking down at the game and supporting for Singapore. And and that day, I was there feeling that that energy. You know, it, it it's really the they call it the twelve men, right? The twelve men uh, in the in the field, the fans are the one. And those energy, I really miss those energies nowadays in our country. You know, we don't have this much of fans coming to to support the team. Mm. But those days it was fantastic I I really cherish all those moments that I spent in the next team and especially with all the players we had at that time mm. it was a very very good
0: experience I mean when you move forward from the malaysia cup of course our path crossed when we both played for the under 23 in the Olympic squad with Barry we yeah and for listeners just a disclaimer here Joseph was my roommate for almost four years we <laughs> uh, we traveled around the world and you know played football and that was a great experience working with Barry, who was really trying to I suppose, create the next generation of players, right?
5: Yes, yes, yes. And he was, he technically and tactically, he's a very good coach, you know. he he Individually, also, he tried to improve the players uh, and also tactically, you know, he was very good. And I also learned a lot of things from him, you know. It was a good experience we had, I think. We went from there all the way until 1998 Tiger Cup, right? I think mm. that four years, uh, and in and out, sometimes injury or whatever, but that four, I remember up till 1998, and I think that that Tiger Cup experience is another <laughs> experience altogether, right? We mm-hmm. were. So I, that journey that I had, that four years, but during that time, I already started uh, studying. I mean, I started my college. Uh, and then I was playing S league in 96. I was actually I had to juggle both. My father was telling me, "Why are you doing this?" I said, "I need the money to study. I don't want you to burden." So that's the reason why I played. Football to fund my education. So I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, how to say, it? literally, I football paid for my education. Mm. That that four years and I didn't want to burden my father, so that's why I I did it. Uh, mm. It in a way, it's how to say, it? it's also like uh, my pers- for my personal gain. I need it. I need to do. I need to get the money because I was already. Uh, a national player so I was paid well. So I used that money to to fund for my education.
0: Mm. It's amazing, isn't it? When you when you look at it, you're really good in football. They pay you a lot of money and you took the money and you reinvested in yourself to get a university degree. You can't find a better combination than that, right?
5: Of course, of course. That's that's the perfect combination for me. Yeah. And I I I should say in in those days, it like you said, we 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 love to play football and mm. we are paid so well for for playing the football, that that, that game that we love, you know? And it was very good, very good. I had a very good experience, you know? Uh, Like you said, perfect combination.
0: Hmm. Talking about the Tiger Cup in 98, I think that must have been one of your highlights in your career, right? How would you describe the journey? Because I've had all sorts, all our teammates on this show giving their own version of the story. But what, what was your story?
5: Okay, in 1997, I was, the whole year I was injured. You know, I didn't get to... Joined the national team because of injury and things like that. So in 98, I joined Jurong. Uh, I think in the, so and I became the top scorer. I re-established myself and then got selected for Tiger Cup. And like like all we say, at that at that moment the national team was going through some criticism because we are not winning things and whatever, whatever. And the moral was, I mean Whatever the news says, we don't care. But the moral was not there. But we as a team, I felt we had a chance. We had a chance to 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 go far. And the moral of the team were always we were I remember that we went for the the training tour in Thailand and everything. We we had a very good time. We were actually focused and everything. And only thing is. I didn't get a lot of chance to play the game because I just came back with injury and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's not about me, it's about a team. And mm. I was we we were so united. Remember? And I remember I had long hair at the time. And <laughs> then and I was told to be more disciplined because it was supposed to be like they say it's not not. And so I went and cut my hair short for that for that that tournament, you know. Uh these are small, small things that every little players that's why it's the whole team was so um, supportive of each other and, and i think that's the reason why we went all the way to to win the, the game you know mm. not only the first 11 i think even i think we had 20 players Right, yeah 20 players all the 20 players the coaches the staff i think it's a whole thing whole team it's not yeah, at the end of the day, you, you scored that goal with the shoulder. It doesn't matter how you score, but we win the game, right? That's the you want to It was nice. It was a very, very fantastic experience that we yeah. had. And, and it's the first time we win a, a regional comp- competition for Singapore. Yeah. I, I have to
0: tell you this. When, when I went up for the challenge with the goalkeeper and when the ball went into the net, I wasn't sure if it was a goal. The first person I actually saw was you because you were warming up behind the goal.
5: Yes, and yes,
0: <laughs> yes. You and Bernard Lim soon Singh started celebrating. Yes. Then that's the only time I realized that actually I scored a goal. So thanks yes. to you for telling me, <laughs> signaling to me that it was a goal. Uh,
5: no, because I, was, I remember the, when the ball was floating and you were going towards the goal, right? And I must tell you this, this is what happened. The keeper came and he hesitated, mm. you know? And that's why you get the edge to get the ball inside the net. Because he saw your size. I think he suddenly, he, he got uh, a bit of fear or what. And he stopped a little bit and you get the edge. That's the reason why. And that's why when the ball touched and I can see the ball rolling inside. no, oh, That's why he started celebrating because I think he's somewhere around 70 minutes or something, right? That's right. In the yeah. second half, Yeah.
0: You know what, Joe? Let's go for another break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. (laughs) Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. I'm joined on the show by Joseph Prokassam, former Singapore international. Just before the break, we were talking about the Tiger Cup and his club football days. Joe, you've played with many players, you've traveled around the world, you've played against many opponents. Which defender do you think was the toughest defender you ever played with? Uh, of course, I got to take myself out of the equation. We we, we trained and played many times. I was just kidding. But who was the toughest opponent for you?
5: Okay, I must say he also our our teammate S Subramani. You know, I always mm. he's um, he's not physical physically. Any defender I can take, you know, because I'm physical as well. But he is a little bit different because. Before the ball comes, he will somehow get the ball in front of you. He will never let the, you get the ball. Even no matter what you do, even if you beat him, he's still there standing there. He will never commit. And because if a defender never commits, it's difficult for a striker to beat them. And to be very frank, when he's my teammate, I'm very happy. Because I don't need to. <laughs> I don't need <laughs> But because when we play in, in the s and everything, I have to. Because I was playing for Jurong and then he was taking. But we were teammates also from Safsa all the way to Chiong Baru. And the moment I left, and then I realized he's, and he, he proved it. You know, you can see he was one of the best defenders in Singapore. And really, he was very tough. But when I say tough, he's not dirty. He's not hard. You know, but you just can't, very difficult to hit him. You know, you can't go fast. And if I Absolutely. did, he will still come to, you know, cover up and everything.
0: <laughs> yeah. The money, of course, astro Bramani played more than 100 times for Singapore and won many medals. I want to talk about... There was a game that you were involved. In. I want to jog back your memory. We played against Huddersfield Town, if you remember, the old Jalambasa Stadium yes, with yes. the Olympic team. You scored the winning goal. Yes,
5: yes, yes. I suppose you scored two goals. The other one, last when hit the post and <laughs> I remember that yeah. very clearly, yes.
0: And when you look back now, Huddersfield actually played in the Premier League. And during that time, they... Actually, had a very strong team. They were traveling to Singapore,
5: and they were in the uh, di- the di- division. Yeah, championship one at that, at that time. time. Yeah, yeah. And
0: but, when you look back at you know results like that, and you scoring against Huddersfield Town, oh, what 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 kind of joy does that give you?
5: I mean, at that time, it was it's something. Uh, you know, we English clubs coming here and scoring against the uh, English club. It, it's a it's a very a proud moment. You know. I, I, of course, it's my job to score a goal, and to and that was a very good goal. I I can still remember mm. the goal, very nice. Gusta uh, beat two men, and he passed me through. I just beat one defender, and I shoot the ball from the edge of the box. It just went right to the bottom corner. I can remember the goal very very clearly. But that feeling was again nobody. We we, we were the we are supposed to be the kids, right? <laughs> right? We were playing against a, a adult team, and we beat them. There was a I would say it. It, I actually forgot about it. You just, just <laughs> you just uh, make uh, reminded it, and I tell you, I still feel good about that mm. moment. You know, these, these are memories. Of course, it's over, but when you think back in memory some of the things that we did and some of the achievements we went through, uh, it gives you. Goosebumps
0: sometimes. <laughs> mm. You know, actually, I was uh, telling my sons that I played against Huddersfield Town. I still got that jersey that I exchanged after the game with Andy Booth, who used to 10 at the time. I think he played for England under 23 or something like that. And my son still couldn't believe that you know played against Huddersfield Town. But moving on, Joe, do you have any regrets with football that you, perhaps you could have done better, done more? Have you ever any regrets?
5: I would say I got no regrets. I had a fantastic time playing 12 years, I played 12 years as a professional, you know, from 17 years old to 29 years old. Okay. And uh, I mean, of course, in 17 years old is semi-professional, but real professional was from 1996. Uh, in fact, when I went to national team in '94. so it's like about, say, 10 years of professional football. I got no regrets. I i i i knew i i gave my best i had good times of course as a footballer you will have good times and bad times you know people will criticize you people will praise you it's like especially when you are forward you score a goal you become the best player when you don't score goal you are the worst player you know it's like that but that's part of a footballer's life and i got no regret i i really enjoyed the journey of being a professional football footballer as well as um now also i got no regret because I plainly you know after playing I just want to do one to go into coaching because I don't have a passion for it. so I let those who have the passion do it and I just support in whatever way I can I mean I still want to contribute back to the young community in a way but yes I'm still doing just like some just for fun no charity work this kind of thing. but not on a big scale you get invited by some people I go down I just uh, do but Nothing else. I got no regrets. I'm enjoying, I enjoyed football. I'm still enjoying football. I'm still playing uh, social football with the veterans. You know, I still have a veteran team we play. But of course now, for one year, we haven't played because of COVID.
0: I want to talk about the current situation in football because a lot of parents are afraid to let their kids pursue football because they think that in a country like Singapore, academics is more important. But you kind of changed the thing on his head where you just explained to us how you did both and you did both really well. What is your message to parents who are now sitting on the fence thinking, you know what, I want to make sure my son gets a degree and forget about football because there's no future. But you managed to do both and do really well at both, right? And like you said, no regrets because you did both and you did really well.
5: Okay, I mean, yeah. Parents are... I mean, I also now being a parent, okay? Uh, we always think we are protective over our, our children, you know? It, it's natural. It's very natural. And they think that studies is the only way... A person can uh, become better in life, but there's no guarantee that studies will give you a better life, right? In your life, and my life, it's the same. We have to mm. still uh, do what we need to do. You know, studies alone is just a paper. It doesn't give you any experience. You know, the real life, the real learning is outside there. And if you, if a young person were to play football, that's life experience. You are get, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hit. You're going to get injured. And that's life. You're learning life lessons in football, and that's a very good teacher. You know, you parents should think both ways. You must learn. You must still have an academy. And I tell you something, okay? In this generation now, we get the facilities. We have sports school. We have schools to support uh, football, you know. And we have academy and all these things. Those days we don't have this. Okay? Mm. And I tell you, as a father. My daughter now is studying in sports school for netball, okay? She's mm. an net, excellent, excellent netball player. She got selected. And I support her because I did it and I know she also can do it, right? Mm. So, she, yeah, she she gets hurt from net, netball and, and that's life lesson. In life, you're also going to get hurt after you study right? So, why not get hurt when the young, during growing up?
0: What are the key lessons you have taken away from football? You played like twelve years professional football. What are the key lessons that has prepared you for life after football?
5: First thing is uh, discipline. You know, if you don't come on time, you get you get scolded, you, you get benched, or you got attitude. You attitude have to be good. You know, uh, you have to do the hard work. You, when the work need to be done, you have to be done. It has to be done. You know, discipline is the number one thing. And I call it self-discipline. There is imposed discipline and self-discipline. Imposed discipline may not give you the change, but if the self-discipline is the one that's going to give the change in your life And it got to come from the inside. No matter how other people try to impose the discipline on you, it cannot until you yourself change from the inside. So it all at the end of the day, it depends on the individual. What he wants and what he wants to do.
0: Before I let you go, Joe, this is a question that I ask all my guests on the show. What would you like to be remembered for?
5: (laughs) I would like to be remembered as a person who is honest, who is very sociable, and who is uh, how to say uh, who is very loving. That's it
0: on that note joe thank you so much for your time really enjoyed talking to you and walking down memory lane as well and you know there's a couple of things that uh, also jog my memory and it was nice feeling nice to talk about our our nice football journey together thank you so much and i wish you the very best for whatever you're doing with your future
5: thank you sashi i think it's a good time uh, it's a good opportunity for me to remember my old memories thank you for running down the road all the way until now Uh, Thank you for inviting me in the show and thank you for letting me share my experience. Hopefully, it it triggers something in somebody who's listening to this. Thank you.
0: Well, that's the final whistle here on Sports Talk Sunday. Thank you for tuning in this weekend. Stay connected with me on social media at Play.God on both Instagram and Twitter where I share my thoughts on sports and life in general. Till next weekend, this is Arsa signing off for CNA 938.